Hello all, um, quick intro. I just had a really awesome discussion with B from FighterBoss.eu on the 4% rule, the safe withdrawal rates, the pros and cons, why it's broken, how it can still work, and what alternatives there are for European investors and how to utilize them. I personally found this a really awesome discussion. So yeah, um, sit back, relax, and I really, really hope this is gonna be of some value because, uh, well, I love the discussion, so listen to it and judge yourself. See ya. Welcome to the Financial Independence Europe podcast, where we interview people from all 44 European countries, all of them, about optimizing your life, geo-arbitrage, and making the most of your money. This was your hosts, Alvar, Arminta, and Matthias. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Financial Independence Europe podcast. Today, we're going to do something really cool. We're going to have a discussion on the 4% rule, the safe withdrawal rates, and everything that comes in between it. Yeah, together, I'm actually not doing it with one of my co-hosts today, but, but some other awesome person, one of our, uh, well, recurring guests, B from FireBuzz.eu. B, good to have you again. Yeah, it's good to be here, back. Awesome. B joined us uh, back in episode 27, uh, where we had a pretty cool discussion on the Netherlands, financial independence there, and real estate and his approaches to that. And uh, B, just for the audience who are not haven't listened to episode 27 and are not 100% familiar with you yet, can you throw in your origin story, a short, quick elevator pitch version of that one? Yeah, it was a blast being on episode 27, the, the Christmas interview. It wasn't about Christmas, but it aired on 25 December. Yeah, so I'm B. I blog over at firetheboss.eu about how I want to fire the boss. I want to be financially independent. I tried to do that before 40. And yeah, that's what I blog about. I invest in ETFs in the stock market. I'm dubbing my toe a bit in the peer-to-peer lending. And I really want to get into real estate. But today we're going to talk about how the 4% rule or the safe withdrawal rates impact your journey to FI, uh, mainly from a stock market perspective. Absolutely. I mean, let's first get started. Like, what is the 4% rule actually for listeners who are not aware with it? It's used to determine how much you can actually withdraw from a retirement uh, account each year. The rule seeks to provide a steady income stream and where you effectively take out 4% of the value of of your portfolio on an annual basis and based on Trinity study and many other studies, they're saying, okay, if I do that, if I take out 4%, then I will not have to touch my principal. I can keep taking out this 4% and live uh, on that forever after happily. Um, that is in principle how the 4% rule is set up. But this principle, this rule of thumb is based on American stock data. Uh, there are many caveats to it. And today we kind of want to like dive in and like attack it from different sides, take the good parts, take the bad parts and see what can we as Europeans actually use of it and where does it apply and where uh, doesn't it apply. And first of all, like be I would re- be really interested, uh, like how are you going to use the 4% rule for your own life, your own portfolio? Do you have any thoughts on that? Sure. Yeah. So first of all, I think we have to mention that the 4% rule is the four percent number is coming from as you said withdrawing four percent of your retirement account every year and what the trinity study has tried is looking at the success rate of a portfolio where you can withdraw four percent per year adjust that for inflation and see what the success rate over 30 40 uh, and also shorter time periods so over 30 years has been and what they have concluded is that if you withdraw 4% of a portfolio consisting of the S&P 500 index and corporate bonds, it has a 95% success rate over 30-year retirement. 
Now, there is a few different problems there. First of all, uh, we as Europeans, we, we kind of like investing in US stocks, but I personally, I'm not invested in the S&P 500 per se. I'm invested in the world index uh, of which the S&P is probably part of, but I'm not mimicking 100% what's in the S&P 500. So that, that's one, pro- one problem right there. The other problem is a 95% success rate over 30 years. What is that going to look like over 40, 50, or even 60 years? I mean, I'm 26 now. I aim to retire by 40. If I have the bad luck or maybe the good luck to live until 100, I have to last 60 years with that retirement portfolio. And a 95% success rate over 30 years is only going down over longer time periods. And we know that stocks have returned 6, 7, 8% per year. But that's on long-term averages. And if you're withdrawing 4% per year, you might have some sequence of return risk there. If you start withdrawing money from your retirement accounts when markets go down, then you might run out of money very soon. So we have to come up with different withdrawal strategies or rates to make this work in the European uh, setting, but also for uh, early retirees. People that are retiring not at 60 or 65, but way earlier. And me personally, I, I'm not really sure what I want to do with my life after I'm financially independent. Maybe I keep working, maybe part-time, maybe not. So for me, it's kind of hard to say I will go with a 4% rule. But in my calculations at the moment to determine how far am I, I calculate using a 3.5% withdrawal rate. So I'm a little bit more on the conservative side than the, than the 4% rule, just to make the chance of success a little bit higher. Really good one. And one thing I also would like to add is that the assumption of the 4% rule is also that bonds take a really uh, large percentage of your portfolio. And at this very moment, the yields on bonds are extremely low. And in time is where the Trinity study where run the actual yields you're getting on bonds were far and far higher. Obviously, quantitative easing, all the central banks pumping tons and tons of money uh, into um, the markets, governments getting cheap loans and that driving the actual rates down on bonds or the yields. Uh, that's one important uh, one to add. And one thing, the 4% rule itself doesn't include any taxes. And just as like the Netherlands as a case example, B and I had a short discussion earlier this week. Um, the Netherlands has a wealth tax. And if you would like to use the 4% rule, have a million in the bank and like, hey, you know, let's go for that. Uh, then actually you need far more than just a million if you would like to withdraw 40,000 because through the wealth tax and other taxes on investments, uh, you have to account for those as well to withdraw, you know, say 40,000. We had a short discussion on that and I remember um, you said, you know, that for your own uh, scenario, you would actually need to create an additional 7,000 euro income source a year to just you know, work based on the principles of the 4% rule in the Netherlands. Yes, that's correct. So uh, at the moment with my current spending and things will probably change in the future, but we only know what we know. At the current moment, I am calculating that I will probably need a 600k investment portfolio to withdraw 3.5% per year from, and then I can call myself financially independent. And that is excluding other things like real estate or peer-to-peer lending at the moment. Uh, At the moment, I'm 100% in stocks. So that's what we know what I'm calculating with. But with that 600k portfolio, the thing is that the Dutch government is taking away, I'm not sure how many, how much it was. It was probably in the, in the order of seven or 8,000 per year in wealth tax. So we'd like to tax you on your bank account and investment accounts. 
instead of on dividends and capital gains. So that means that every year I have an additional expense of 7,000 euros on a 600k portfolio, which uh, can add up quite a bit because if going with the three and a half percent rule, if I were to have an additional 7,000 euro expense in the form of wealth tax, I would need a 200k portfolio to generate that 7,000 euros a year. But with a 200K additional portfolio, my wealth tax would go up as well. So yeah, you would need quite a bit of money to, to actually pay for the wealth tax. Yeah, and that's on its own. That's just the Netherlands. That's just the wealth tax. Uh, that doesn't even include taxes on dividends yet, which I know as a Dutch person, you can get back through your tax returns. But if you would move abroad or taxation changes, you also have an additional 15% on top of your actual as a dividend tax rate on top of that one. And combining that, it makes it a lot harder because as we already said, the 4% rule, it is really 4%. You also account for all the taxes, etc. On top, um, there's actually a really great article by the monovator.com, um, UK-based blogger who effectively fires like eight, nine different reasons on, you know, why does the 4% rule not work? Why is it broken or why is it not applying to every single person? And I found the one like mentioned, okay, hey, the 4% is based on the American markets. But like, for example, for the UK, he's actually saying, well, to make the same rules work, if we want to work from a UK-based situation, you need a 3.36% safe withdrawal rate instead of the 4%. And that's not even assuming taxes and other um, returns yet. And kind of like I want to throw in uh, the situation of the UK as well. I'm Dutch, but living in the UK. Um, the nice one about the UK is that they're a bit better than the Netherlands in terms of tax sheltering your investments. In the UK, we've got something like called like an ISA, and I could technically move £20,000 a year into, uh, effectively now by 2019, into this ISA, and all the growth in it would not be taxed at all. So the actual contributions uh, will obviously have already been taxed when I earn the money, but when I actually add the money to the account, everything that's in there, the growth, the capital gains, dividends, etc., capital gains, yeah, capital growth and dividends, they're not taxed. So th that's a nice way for people living in the UK to kind of like get around that. Unfortunately, in many European countries, we don't have many of these options. And one other thing that's pretty important also to add is the actual charges you're going to pay um, for platforms to have such enormous investments amounts on them. Obviously, the good thing is nowadays that like the actual costs have dropped dramatically for transactions, etc. But they're still there. And I mean, for like in the Netherlands, for example, for companies like Bing Bank and the Giro, if you had 600K with them, the cost would be semi-minimal, like for all the transactions you make. But still, when purchasing the shares, when purchasing the ETFs, you still have to pay the actual transaction cost that's not taken into account yet with the 4% rule and the higher amount, the higher that one creeps up as well. And it's all based on American uh, markets, American assumptions, and the S&P 500, um, the assumption on uh, stocks and bonds basis, where bonds have really uh, low yields versus historical averages right now. They might go, but we don't know. And also, again, we're basing this all on the, the assumption that we're going to get a 7% return, that inflation will be 2%. Um, that we have to withdraw 4% then. We're all basing that on that. We don't know if um, actual returns will be 7% over the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years. Based on historical averages, yes, absolutely. But it's not a guarantee. And that whole combination 
that that's the part why we also really want to make this episode and also what kind of like annoys me when i read for example reddit posts or facebook posts where people solely base the whole retirement plan on the safe withdrawal rate on reddit it's pretty common to see people post uh like for example i got a million in the bank i'm withdrawing 40k a year on the four uh, percent safe withdrawal rule and then every year they post updates like hey this happened and this happened it's kind of like uh, it's actually the most amazing mechanism in the world, which it is a really good rule of thumb. But what happens then is we've been in a crazy rising uh, market for the last seven, eight years. So obviously, if I st- would have retired four years ago with a million in the bank and every single year uh, I would post an update on Reddit like, hey, you know, I've had 10% returns. I withdrew for a percent. So my portfolio actually went up, not down. It creates a picture that I don't think always reflects reality and will make it harder for people to actually evaluate and judge. Okay, yeah, yeah, we kind of get blinded by the success of the stock market a little bit. And at least that's the feeling I get through those posts. And I'm rambling a bit onto my show, but I'm curious, boss, what else would you have uh, to add on this one? Yeah, so what you're mentioning right now is uh, I think the most important thing you're mentioning here is the sequence of return risk. Let's assume that the 4% rule works and you're retiring right at the top of the market. So you withdraw 40,000 from your 1 million portfolio one year, but the stock market sinks 25%. So suddenly your portfolio is only worth 750K, but you still have to withdraw the 40,000 per year. And then that really depletes your uh, retirement accounts really fast. On the other hand, if you say retired on a 1 million portfolio in 2012 or 2013 in a rising market, and the markets have been rising for the past seven or six years, maybe your retirement account doubled, even though you're still withdrawing 40,000 a year. What then happens is that on your 2019 portfolio, that is maybe worth 1.8 or 2 million euros, the 40,000 you are withdrawing is only 2 to 2.5%. And what that means is that the the sequence in which the returns happen in the market is really determining how safe your withdrawals are. And if you retire in a rising market, everything is fine and you will probably survive. I think the statistics show that if you can survive the first 10 years without having major losses in your portfolio, you will be probably set for life and you won't have to worry about anything again. If in the first three, four, five years, after your retirement, the markets crash, you are probably screwed and have to start looking for other ways of income, or you have to drop your withdrawals significantly because you will run out of money. So that is one of the one of the things I'm looking at as well, is how can we yeah, lower that risk? And there's quite a lot of possibilities there. But yeah, that is something you have to account for. You can't just assume that the 4% rule will work or that the 3.5% or 3% rule will work. I mean, yeah, if you go down to 25 or 2%, it will probably work in any scenario. But yeah, then you will need so much more money that will not, uh, you can't accumulate that, fa- uh, that fast enough. And also a, f- a few fair points to add that we as people who are interested in this, I hope we're all smart enough to realize, you know, based on the sequence of return risk and other assumptions that if we, you know, say had a portfolio of a million and we saw markets dropping for 
three, four years in a row, and we still withdrew the 40K, that we would be smart enough to actually lower our expenses to make changes to our lifestyle. Yeah, um, but can you? The, the question is, can you lower your expenses if you are running on very optimized expenses already, which is what we in the FIRE community try to do. We try to squeeze our expenses as far as we can. And if you really need that amount of money every year to live and you there is nothing you can there there is no expense that you can lower or can drop from your life without suffering from from worse life conditions then there is nothing that you can save so if you are if you are really tight on three and a half or four percent and that's the best you can do then it's difficult to to save any additional money that's fair goal and definitely if you go lean fire bare bones fire and there is barely any margin in your budget Definitely a good point. And then it actually works against us. All of us like kind of like wanting to optimize our budgets, wanting to have everything efficient as possible. But if one thing goes wrong, if our emergency funds are depleted, uh, we need more cash to fix certain emergencies Then yeah. And definitely in the US with our crazy healthcare, uh, we're gonna struggle. Also one thing I would like to add, uh, kind of like the comparison between the US and Europe that um, obviously all these rules et cetera, are mainly coming out of the US um, in terms of numbers, but also in the US it's far easier to accumulate like high absolute numbers in terms of portfolio because their earnings are, and taxation, taxation is far lower, earning potential on average is higher it's easier to get a 100k job in the us versus in europe not saying it's impossible but what in essence happens is that you know say in europe right now i probably save based on my normal job 1.5 1.6k a month at this very moment in pounds uh, if i had to accumulate a um, portfolio of say a million uh to withdraw 40k from a year it would take me ages based on 1.6k uh, a month in savings even if i would reinvest it every single year um and uh, take 7% returns uh, into account and like go for the most optimal scenario. The amount of time it would take me to save a sum like that versus uh, somebody in my profession, as an, I'm working as an IT engineer at this very moment, somebody in uh, the US would easily earn two to and a half times what I'm earning um, and have also effectively that amount of savings left uh, more than what I could save on a monthly basis. Again, obviously different societies, different taxation rules that can also affect this. But that I also think is important to add because as a Europeans, <laughs> having to save a million based on the incomes we got, the, the average income in the Netherlands, plus correct me if, it's, if I'm wrong, but it's, I believe it's 35,000, 36,000 euro uh, before taxes, right? Yeah, the median income is uh, around 36,000 euros a year. Um, now, I have to say that most people I speak to in the Dutch fire community are way ahead of that. At 36,000 a year, you're not poor in the Netherlands. I mean, the, the median income is still the median. You're, you're quite well off, but it's not that you can live a very nice life and save 50 or 60% of your income if you're earning 36,000 a year. So most people I speak to are earning uh, quite a bit more. And even then, it's uh, I can assume it's quite difficult to to start accumulating over a million euros. No, correct. And that's for us as Europeans makes, makes it far harder. Like, for example, I know in the Netherlands, like uh, actual tax on income levels, and in this case, also tax on investments is a lot higher than in the UK. But for example, in the UK, my income in the Netherlands for the exact same job would probably be one and a half times what I'm earning in the UK because taxation is far lower. 
um, in the UK, like in terms of income rates, in terms of investments. But one thing that kind of like happened to me in the last years, the drop in the pounds um, by 20-ish percent after Brexit really affected my net worth and what I'm actually you know, getting in my portfolio. Things like that uh, yeah, are also important to add because obviously most ETFs are all based in dollars, not to say that um, the entire ETF actually consists of dollars because it's the entire world economy. It's simply not denominated in dollars. But that whole approach, having to have a million, you know, say in the Giro, in, for example, in VTI, and I know most investors, but now I've switched to uh, VWRL, but I still hold most of my holdings in VTI. Having to transfer that over, I would pay exchange uh, rate fees over that again, um, or exchange rates fees, fees uh, for converting it from dollars back to euros, which I believe is 0.01, which is still not much, but imagine having to do this every single time. And also to add like, how do you actually withdraw the money in the end? Because some countries will consider you, like say, for example, selling off uh, stocks and having made capital gains on them as a taxable event. Say um, I've got a million, I take 2.2% in dividends out of my ETF portfolio and the other 1.8 I get by selling off shares and that together forms my 4%. Um, taking it out, transferring it over in this whole process, there's so many parts where I can be taxed, charged, or like how do I actually withdraw it on itself? Do I like once a year uh, sell things off as a one-off and just live based on that? Do I do it on a monthly basis? There are, in, in my point of view, just too many caveats just to solely uh, rely on this for us as Europeans. Uh, there are definitely ways it can get done. And you can say, I go to Switzerland, earn the money there, and then move to Portugal and live there cheaply. Not saying it's not possible and not saying it's a bad rule of thumb, but... Uh, yeah, I feel that it would be irresponsible to solely rely on it. And in the next part of this episode, we're, gonna, we're kind of like going to cover different ways um, how BNI are using an ETF portfolio or the 4% rule in our setup and uh, forecast, but it's also different ways how we're using alternatives to supplement or add on top of it. And before I uh, ramble on this one, B, do you have any like last comments on the 4% rule or this discussion you would like to throw in? Only on the last thing you mentioned, eh? you said, okay, I can do some, some geo arbitrage, move to a country with high wages like Switzerland, earn a lot of money there and save a lot of money. Maybe my cost of living is high as well, but uh, as long as I plan to move out of the country, my savings rate is not that important. It's the saving amount that is important. So if I can move to Switzerland and earn and save a lot of money and then retire in Italy or Portugal, then that is a valid strategy. If you are going with a safe withdrawal rate, 100% based on your stock portfolio. The thing, uh, the thing you're doing then is basically trying to accumulate more money than you would need at a 4% rule, uh, for example. And if you can save that much more money and need less money to withdraw, you're effectively lowering your withdrawal rate. So maybe you can lower your withdrawal rate from 4% to 3% and that will almost guarantee uh, in, in uh, historical scenarios, it will almost guarantee that you will not run out of money. The, the only problem with that is uh, it only works probably when either you work very, very long to accumulate a lot of money or you do the geo arbitrage thing which is simply not possible for anyone a quick math example 
if you are trying to withdraw 30,000 per year at 4%, that means that you need a portfolio of 750,000. And now I'm not counting any taxes, just 4% of 750,000 is 30K a year. If you were to lower your withdrawals to 3% per year, that will mean that for the same 30K spending, you will need a 1 million portfolio that is 250,000 more than at the 4% withdrawals. And that means that you can easily be working for an additional five or 10 years, which I personally also consider as a risk. So yeah, Alvar, let's move on to uh, alternatives to solely relying on the 4% rule or on any withdrawal rate per se, and look at what we can do to uh, diversify a bit out of our withdrawal strategies. Awesome one. And as we already said earlier, um, most people in this community are really creative and they'll find ways to either get extra income or like diversify around um, the set rules. And I hope with this discussion, we can give um, everybody some inspiration on like, what can you actually do? One short disclaimer, we're no financial experts, uh, simply guys who are doing this found it extremely interesting and have read quite a bit on it. So please do your own research if you make financial investments or choices, because if it goes wrong, yeah, you want to really have, be sure you've done your due diligence and not solely rely on one podcast discussion, how awesome it may even be, it doesn't matter, always do your own research. Anyway, so what kind of other strategies are out there? to get yourself um, income to live on in retirement or in early retirement. So in my point of view, it's all about cash flow and how much you actually need on a monthly basis. How can you get cash flow? Many different ways, own businesses, Airbnb, um, consulting, uh, side gigs, um, real estate, uh, online web shops you invest in through or drop shipping, uh, Amazon FBA, many, many different ways you can get yourself a partial extra income that can be become a part of your cash flow. You need to live on, on, on a monthly basis or a yearly basis because all we're saying with the 4% rule is, hey, I need this and this amount per year to live on. It doesn't mean that the source actually has to be stocks or that there are different ways of getting it. So what am I doing right now personally and what am I planning to do once I financially retire exactly? I don't know. I've got a couple ideas and I would like sharing them. For example, one of the things I'm planning to do is uh, use Airbnb on properties um, in the UK. Have uh, a real estate probably uh, in the city where I'm living right now, Edinburgh. Airbnb is extremely popular. Um, there's definitely regulation coming up to kind of fight against it. But rentals and Airbnb, the principle of renting out a property to somebody else, letting them pay my mortgage and me and using it cash flow to live off. That's one of the strategies I want to use. So what am I going to do? I'm going to buy one or two properties, rent them out and have the difference after all costs. Well, that will become part of the net results of the rentals that cash flow I will partly use to live off. Um, that's a good that's strategy, the- Alvar. I think if you can use Airbnb as a or any other uh, sharing economy, maybe you can uh, rent out cars via ride share apps, or uh, let's go with the Airbnb example. If you can Airbnb out of your rooms in, in your house or in another property you own, I mean, if that brings in a little bit of cash flow, that's already insuring you against market drops, uh, against the sequence of return risk. And yeah, I, I see that as a quite uh, as, as quite a potential alternative, not to the four percent rule or to any say withdrawal rate, but at, as an addition to it, so that you don't rely one hundred percent 
on the withdrawals from your stock portfolio. The only thing is with Airbnb, I'm, I'm quite scared about it, is the regulations. Now I know in the Netherlands, uh, you cannot rent out rooms in most cities for more than 30 or 60 days a year, depending on the city you're living in. Yeah, that, that makes it quite hard, especially because the city can change these regulations anytime they want. So I, although I like the idea, I also find it quite scary to base my retirement solely on that. How, how's that in the UK? So in the UK, they're definitely also setting up regulations against it because almost as in every city, Airbnb is taking over pumps up house prices and um, actual cost of rent. So authorities want to kind of act against it and regulate to make it still, you know, a normal livable situation for normal people. So what I'm doing at this very moment actually is I'm in the process of purchasing a property, uh, which on the long, long run I'm going to use for that. But first of all, I actually want to live in it myself. Um, and what I kind of have thought about is kind of like a hybrid version between living in a property myself and Airbnb or um, renting it out. So kind of what I want to go for is getting myself a property that just solely based on renting out two rooms, I want to see if I can get a unit where I can create a separate living studio next to the actual two living or rooms I want to rent out, but having a unit where the actual two rooms generate enough to cover all costs. I, I either effectively live for free or I will rent an entire unit out, go traveling myself, do things, but actual uh, net yield of six months of renting is enough to cover the cost of the rental or the house for an entire year. So when I go back, I effectively live for free for those six months while I'm there and repeat it like that. One of the things I love is traveling. Uh, I think many of us do. And I'm definitely not planning in retirement to just stay at home and do nothing. Traveling will definitely be one of the things I'll be doing a lot. Uh, Amazing. But, yeah, but still a bit of stability at home and once in a while, yeah, just doing something else than traveling around would be amazing. So that's where that idea party comes in. Bas, do you have any thoughts about that? Like in the Netherlands, are you planning something similar? I'm, uh, as, as I mentioned before, I'm currently, I'm not 100% sure on what I want to do after I reach financial independence. And maybe I want to pick up some charity work. Maybe I want to just keep working one or two days a week, or maybe a few weeks every year to have some active income. So yeah, it, it, it's quite far out. I mean, I have, I have 15 years to go basically, and I'm not 100% sure what I want to do. But the thing you're mentioning is that it can be quite beneficial to have some uh, active or semi-active income once you are financially independent. And one of my colleague bloggers over at the Four Pillar Freedom, and we will link to them in the show notes probably, has an article on visualizing the impact of active income on your retirement portfolio and on the withdrawal strategies. And what he's basically showing is that if you have even a little bit of active income during retirement, the actual portfolio that you need, basing on the 4% rule, but it will work with any withdrawal rate, uh, is so much lower than if you were focusing 100% on the withdrawals from your portfolio to fund your early retirements. So one of the things I'm trying to do as well, next to my day job, is building up other income streams and they can be my blog that is only now starting to make a little bit of money and I can kind of cover the cost of running a blog. But in the future, I definitely hope to expand it a little bit into some kind of semi-passive income. I mean, blogging is still a lot of work, but if I can get some recurring income from it, from advertisements or from affiliates, then that is something I'm definitely looking into. 
And also I'm working on a side hustle where I basically do some consulting for smaller companies that I know. And that is generating some income on the side as well. So definitely I'm trying to use active or semi-active income next to my passive income strategy to to fund my uh, portfolio at the moment so that I can save more. But once I'm ready to call myself financially independent and I want to start withdrawing from my portfolio, I hope these income streams can help me generating returns that are not depending on the market, that are not depending on the safe withdrawal rate. And yeah, just in general diversifying because for very, very long retirements as we are aiming at, just the safe withdrawal rate, it's it's super risky, man. It's super risky. It's, it's not for nothing that they mentioned that on average, most millionaires... On average, most millionaires have seven different income streams. I mean, if these guys are diversified across jobs, businesses, real estate, other investments, yeah, then why shouldn't we? Indeed, and we should not assume we're smarter than the market or than others, but copy their best practices um, and go from there. Uh, Another income stream I'm using personally right now for accumulation purposes, but I hope it's still going to be around when I actually retire to draw income from a spirit thing. It's con- controversial. Many people in the FI community see it as really, really risky. And I would never um, allocate an, an extremely large percentage of your income to it when actually retired. But what I'm doing personally in platforms like Mintos, Investio, Groupier, where I'm getting pretty uh, decent returns in kind of like going from 8 to 12-ish percent ranging um, on an annual basis. That's one of the tools I use for accumulation purposes right now. But if I could have 10K or 20K or whatever in one of those platforms and draw a small portion of my cash flow, not one, probably multiple platforms in that case, but uh, draw a small portion of my needed cash flow from them, it could be a really small portion of capital could yield a quite high amount of cash flow that could really help out. Um, so, and one thing Boss also mentioned earlier is doing some additional work on the side. One of the things I've been thinking about, like myself, is how about if I do the following? I'll do three months of contracting a year, earn three, four, or five hundred pounds, whatever a day based on that. And yeah, do that for three months. And if I do that for three months, that amount that will yield is already far and far more than I would need to live with my girlfriend to get off for an entire year, even while traveling full time. So if you think about that, you're only working three months as most people, you know, are semi-okay at a profession could get yields like that. In terms of contracting, uh, working three months a year, living the other nine and going traveling, obviously easier said than done. First need to get the contracts, etc. But the principle um, I really like. And maybe I say, hey, every three years I'll do a six month work period and then take the other two and a half years off or do it every three years. That one is flexible, but it's another tool we can use to still stay academically active, to still be part of our professions, because I really believe we all don't mind working. We like working. We just want to work on our own terms whenever we want and when it's most suitable for us or when we can learn the most or are challenged in the best possible ways. So I don't think that's an extra kind of layer you can add to it. And obviously we also have the, the power of geo-arbitrage of our own abilities to allocate resources within our budgets and spending to different uh, parts. Because, you know, maybe year one, I want to live in 40,000. Year two, 
I'll spend in Thailand on 15,000 uh, living as a monk or something. Those opportunities that we where we can make changes, we shouldn't underestimate the value of that. And then one thing before I'm going to throw it over to B um, is so one thing I'm actually still using myself are cashback credit cards and changing accounts and earning sign-up bonuses through that. That's something that's a bit more common in the larger countries like Germany and UK. But what I'm doing myself, I got an American Express credit card and another company called Tandem in the UK. And I'm getting rates varying from 0.5 up to 125% cashback uh, on all the purchases I make. Is much? No, but on an annual basis, it still helps out. It's still another percent or so that I actually get back. And actual what I do uh, is the switching of bank accounts and I earn sign-up bonuses through that in UK, which effectively is just me saying, I open up a bank account I don't really use, deposit some money in it, go to another bank, say, please, hey, you can close this account for me if you give me 200 pounds, repeat, 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 and keep doing that and you can earn a nice extra income out of it. Um, anyway, it's quite a nice strategy. I mean, if you <laughs> even if you have, say, a thousand pounds or a thousand euros per year uh, that you can earn with these sign-up bonuses and with cashback uh, from a credit card, that's a thousand euros less that you need every year to withdraw from your portfolio. So yeah, I mean, looking at those kinds of strategies, it, it might not be much. Uh, you, you might only have a couple hundred euros or maybe a thousand euros per year. But if you have three or four of these different activities that are yielding a thousand per year, yeah, that, that is increasing the, the chance that your portfolio will survive by so much because effectively you're lo- lowering your withdrawals. So yeah, that's, that's amazing. Plus, yeah, my, my strategy basically when I retire, it will be that I will not stop working completely probably. I mean, I have not come where I am today and I will definitely not come to my early retirement by doing nothing. Yeah, so I'm a high achiever. I'm always chasing chasing the reward. And yeah, that's not something I can stop doing probably. So one way or another, I think I will find some money via active or passive income, but there will probably be a way to, to earn some money uh, after retirement. I, I love the suggestion of the, of the sign-up bonuses and the credit cards. I mean, I, I hadn't even thought about that myself, but that's a very valid thing, I guess, to yeah, just to nudge that little bit off your expenses every year. And yeah, that, that's awesome. Does anything like that exist in the Netherlands? I know I've been gone for, for already two and a half years and back then it wasn't really a big thing, but are you aware of like any tools or things that the Netherlands you can use for, for like cashback purposes? Yeah, so unfortunately, our country is fairly small and, and companies like American Express and, and, and the like, they, they do have some credit cards in the Netherlands. The best card with points that you can get is our KLM uh, Flying Blue credit card with American Express. And there you will earn airline miles on your spend. We do have, I think, one or two cashback credit cards, but they offer only like 0.2 or 0.25% cashback. So that is not really adding up a lot. And regarding the sign-up bonuses with banks, if you open bank accounts, maybe you will get 25 or 50 euros each time. So yeah, you have to switch around quite a lot to do that. And we don't have hundreds of banks where you can do this. So in the Netherlands, it will probably be uh, hard. But hey, I know that within the European Union, we can open uh, bank accounts in any country we want, basically. So yeah, there's definitely possibilities to geo-arbitrage that and to, to make a little bit of money, uh, potentially lowering your withdrawal rate. 
very good call um, and also one thing that's important to add to it always the 80 20 principle applies to this if it would take me six hours to open a bank account and get a hundred i obviously wouldn't do it to all these kind of like setups the airbnb the contracting the geo arbitrage and the sign up bonuses the bank accounts in the end obviously it has to be fun but investing an hour should yield a pretty decent return and if you combine a lot of things like that because we've mentioned four or five different examples now but there are dozens of them out there like sure he would come up with a way to earn some semi-passive income while being retired even if we don't know all the exact details yet the way we work as people within the financial independence community, the way we think, try to optimize things, try to fight for um, gaps in systems that will always allow us to find these little tricks, um, these little kind of ways to generate some extra income. And if we, you know, find seven of them, a couple dozen, whatever, it's majorly going to help us out. So I think kind of like um, the lessons we can draw from this is uh, stay curious and stay crazy. Keep searching for these kinds of little uh, examples. And also would really like to ask the audience if you have any of your own examples, any of your own kind of like passive, easy earning money way things. If it involves filling in surveys or uh, being part of research groups or doing medical research for universities. Yeah, so I think that's a definite good one. But do you have any more comments on like, okay, how am I going to use like all these lessons and this discussion for myself? Yeah, so what I will try to do is focus not too much on the 4% rule or the 3.5% rule or any percent rule, but start focusing on what you can do to optimize not only your life, but also your finances, both during the accumulation phase where you try to earn as much as possible and side hustles and other income streams can help you do that. But also look at how these uh, other income streams will help you after you retired or after you quit your job or after you fired the boss. So yeah, that you're not depending on just one source of income uh, after retirement, but that you keep doing what you have been doing. I mean, if you can retire early, you're probably smart, you're probably hardworking. So keep using those qualities and yeah, you, you will do fine, I think, I guess. Definitely a uh, good point. And um, that's also how we should uh, keep approaching things. And I think lessons we can draw from podcasts, from blogs, if we just keep observing them, if we keep following, I mean, I obviously, I like your own podcast. We haven't even mentioned it, but you also run your own podcast, a Dutch one, Goed met geld, good with money in English. If you keep listening to sources like yours, like mine, like the motivator, like um, the Matt Fientist, um, like escape artist in the UK, many, many others that will allow us to find the parts in the system that we can use for our own purposes. And one very last comment I wanted to make on Europe is you mentioned earlier, we live in Europe and we can open up bank accounts everywhere. Definitely true. And I just want to encourage people, look beyond the borders and utilize the European system in terms of savings accounts, like for example, Raisin.com, where you can compare all savings accounts within Europe and pick the highest interest rates. Um, the systems where there, there are companies like peer-to-peer -peer lending and all the Baltics that we don't have in the Netherlands, for example, where you can earn for high yields, uh, job opportunities abroad. Use the system to your advantage because we might not have the 100k jobs, but we got an awesome system we can use and not using it is like literally throwing away money. So <laughs> that's the last thing I wanted to uh, throw in um, and then slowly finish up. Be any more comments? Uh, no, I think that's it from my side as well. Thanks. Perfect. Then uh, let's round this up. And I also yeah, want to ask, uh, so B, if 
listeners are intrigued by our whole discussion and want to learn more about you, where can they find you? Yeah, so as I mentioned in the last time I was uh, a guest here in your podcast, people can find me over at firetheboss.eu, where I document my journey to fire my boss to become financially independent. And I blog about money. I blog about financial independence, about investing, stocks, real estate, anything that comes up into my mind. And I really like to put ideas out there uh, when I'm running or when I'm doing other things around the house that have nothing to do with my work or my blog. Some, sometimes things pop up into my head. I throw them out on the, on the, on the blog. And yeah, that, that gives some, some awesome uh, things, especially the, the community around the financial independence movement, the comments I get, etc. That is that is very great. So firetheboss.eu, there you can find me. And one thing we didn't mention last time I was uh, I was here is my podcast. So together with a, another Dutch blogger, I am hosting the Goed met Geld podcast. So if you understand Dutch, if you can listen to Dutch, please subscribe to Goed met Geld podcast, uh, which is a weekly podcast where we try to teach people about money in short 15 to 25 minute episodes. Uh, it's not about financial independence it's about being good with your money and that can be financial independence but that can also be just optimizing little things and we try to cover a different money topic every week awesome i've listened to most of the episodes myself and would definitely recommend listening i've been on one of the episodes myself as well so go and check um good material podcast out and also as in every episode um the last two questions i for us of the day i want to throw over to you um so if there uh, would be one resource uh, that's not well known you would recommend to others to in terms of reading following can be a blog podcast whatever you want what would it be yeah so this time i would like to mention the four pillar i think i mentioned them in this episode as well uh, it is run by a data scientist the guy is called zach and he has a very data heavy approach to financial independence he is blogging about quite a lot of things but every third or fourth article he writes is about data science and how that applies to financial independence if you like data if you like statistics if you like data visualizations and graphs check his blog out it's it's, it's awesome Awesome. I have read a couple of his articles myself, um, but we'll definitely check them again. And then the last question of the day, um, what's the number one actionable tip for somebody to get started on the path to fire or who is already on the path to it? Like, what's the one thing you would recommend? And please do this. It's kind of the biggest effects on your journey. Sure, sure. So last time I mentioned to do the spreadsheets and the spreadsheets are there to track your expenses and your income. And now what I want you to do right now is keep the spending reasonable. Don't spend all your time shaving off another one euro from your spending. Keep it reasonable and focus all of your energy on increasing your income, both through your job or through your own business or through other side income. But if you focus all your energy on increasing income, that will be a massive wealth generator. Just keep the spending at a reasonable level i'm not saying go super cheap keep reasonable increase your income uh, try to 10x your income i mean it's hard i have not done it yet but if you yeah just everything you do should be about increasing your income and you will become wealthy awesome that's it for today's show me thank you so much uh, for that wisdom i really enjoyed this discussion together for you and thank you so much for coming on to the show again hope to see you again soon and thank you for asking me it was a pleasure Thank you guys for listening to this episode. We hope you learned something new and enjoyed the show. You can support us by doing this. Subscribing through your favorite podcast program and leaving us a review. Following us on Instagram and Twitter at Financial Independence Europe. 
sending us an email with questions and feedback. We would love to hear from you. All the mentioned articles, books, and core resources can be found in the show notes at financial-independence.eu. Thank you for listening and see you next time.